My name is Dustin Kelly, but everybody calls me DJ. I'm prior army, serving as both a Ford observer and a military police officer. I've spent the last 14 and a half years as a police officer and detective in a large metropolitan police department. Two things that I've learned throughout my career. One, everybody has a story to tell. And two, the best stories are true. This is the DTD Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the DTD Podcast. This week in the studio, Matt Klein from Battle Tribe. After graduation, Matt joined the U.S. Army and served the 3rd Infantry Division as a machine gunner and squad marksman. He conducted 400-plus combat missions during two tours in Iraq. He received the Combat Infantryman's Badge and the Purple Heart for shrapnel wounds resulting from a large IED blast. After he was discharged, he joined the NYPD, made his way up from patrol in the precincts over to the exalted forensic sketch artist in the studio tonight, Matt Klein. Welcome, man. Oh, what's going on, man? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, uh, it was a little much to get all that out, but um, <laughs> our, our, our stuff's a little different. We have divisions here, you have bureaus, you have all those different kinds of things. Yeah. But I want to get into this, man, because you have had like a crazy life after high school. Like you went right into the Army, you did a whole bunch of stuff, you got out there, joined the NYPD. I mean, that's not a small feat to do those things. And I want to talk to you about all the things that you do, because what we see, and you see it in military, you see it in first responders and law enforcement, you see a lot of people that step away from these jobs and don't have anything else in life. They they haven't made hobbies, and, and it results in bad things for them when all this is said and done. You have started your own company, and it has really taken off. So I want to talk to you not only about your service, but what we can do to take steps after the service to kind of figure out what we want to do in life. So let's start out early. Did you have a military uh, background in your family? Well, my dad didn't serve, but when I grew, when I grew up, my uh, my grandfather was a World War II dive bomber pilot, and he served during World you know World War II. And um, I grew up with his stories and his he was he was in the navy and flew in the pacific he was a, a dauntless mcdouglas dauntless dive bomber pilot and so he and he was on the u.s ticonderoga so he had a lot of the island hopping stories and, and he was telling me about all the different missions and stuff and he fought in guadalcanal he's iwo jima all the way up to um what was the big one I forget, um, uh, okinawa that was like he said that was like the end of the world and then he had a brother who was a b-17 uh, bomber navigator and he was killed he was shot down over germany during one of the one of the later raids like i forget they had to do like 40 raids and at the end of that in the past went away but um so i grew up with all those stories and i remember the main thing was pearl harbor happened and that was like his call to arms like he really wasn't doing too much he, you know he signed up like everybody else and they got into the fight so you know hearing all the stories growing up 9-11 happens and it was the same kind of thing i really wasn't doing anything and i just felt the urge to get out there and fight and get involved and uh serve the country did you did you ever have that idea when you were younger like in high school i mean i know you heard his stories and stuff but was that ever you know i've talked to a lot of guys that are like man from eight years old i knew that i wanted to do this then you talk to some other guys that are like i had no idea i wanted to do this did you even have this in your radar um it was always on the table but I, I really like when I got out, was growing up and I got out of high school, I really didn't have too much direction. I wish I would have had somebody, would, 
my biggest regret is I should have joined a team straight out and stopped, you know, didn't waste any time, got right involved. But um, I really didn't, you know, like I just kind of like kind of floundered around, didn't have any direction, went to community college for like a little bit, wasn't doing great. And then, you know, that happened and kicked off and everything kind of fell into place. Yeah, that's the way it was for me. I did. I, you know, I, I was, I joined a lot sooner than you did. I was getting out right around 2001. Um, but I, you know, I went to community college and I was like, man, this isn't really for me. You know, I'm not, I don't know if I'm mature enough for it yet. I don't know, whatever. And I get out and I joined the military and I learned a lot of stuff in the military, just, you know, kind of taking care of yourself, having a direction, having a purpose and things like that. And so when I got back out and finished my degree, it helped a lot. And I can say it's even helped um, being in law enforcement. It's really helped me out from stuff that I learned there. You would agree with all that uh, for your oh, career. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. now when a lot of people join, though, they don't necessarily want to be uh, infantry or anything like that. Um, what gave you the idea? Was it just because that would get you into the fight? Yeah, I, I mean... I, I really wanted to get into the fight. You know, I, I wanted to see combat, how insane that sounds. And I remember them saying, like, you're going to go to 3rd Infantry Division, you're guaranteed. He's like, you're going to go there. And, I, you know, you always hear, like, recruiters lie story. And uh, they weren't lying. I was, <laughs> I was right, right there, you know. Like, they, I remember they brought me in to see a major. And he was like, you know, you want to go to combat, kid? He's like, I swear to God, you're going to see it. 3rd ID. And I'm like, all right. Because I never heard of them. You know, I only heard of, like, 82nd, 101st, like, you know, the big – you know, big glamorous units and stuff, but, um, broken TV went in there. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you because you were in kind of a different place. You were in New York around the time of nine 11. Um, was it different for you than a lot of people? Yeah. I mean, you know, every, everybody has so many stories, especially New Yorkers, you know, and people that were there and around it and stuff. And, um, you know, my story was I was going to work and I heard it on the radio and, you know, I thought I heard plane, I thought it was like a little Cessna or something. And then to see it on TV and then finally get to a TV, you know, we all went home from work early and just seeing that fireball, you know, it was like out of a diehard movie. wasn't it? I don't even believe it today. Like seeing it. it's just so, ins so insane. And then, um, you know, that was it, you know, it's just, Real, just a really horrible day. You know, we just had the 20th anniversary. I watched, I think, like a 10 minute video, and I was, I was ruined for the day. You know, just, uh, you know, set me in a bad place. You know, but, um, you know, never forget that day. You know, and and you know, and that's why I bring that up because it's got to be different for you guys that were there. It, it, you know, it's an attack and an affront to all of the United States for people that were in the military, for law enforcement, all that kind of stuff. But to actually be there. It has to resonate different uh, with you guys. I mean, you have to carry that when you're overseas and, and you're fighting uh, for your country. It, it has to ring differently in you. Yeah, just the, you know, the close proximity of it. And then, that you know, that I always saw it and then coming back. And then when you finally see it and it's completely gone, it just, um, yeah, I, I agree with that. Do you remember uh, back when all this happened? Do you remember being anywhere, you know, after this is all over, the, the cleanup project start, uh, the, the recovery start? Did you ever go anywhere near down there? Do you remember what it looked like in Manhattan after that? Because uh, that's lower Manhattan, correct, where yeah, everything is. So do yeah. you remember it looking any different? Because, I mean, if you go there now, I mean, it's unbelievable what it looks like now. Um, yeah, 
do do you did you get anywhere near it after that happened? So you mean the the the, the big thing right away is you notice the skyline that empty skyline because right. it was gone, you know, and it took a long time for them to finally put up the Freedom Towers. And I got kind of close to it and saw like a little bit of the cleanup and rubble, but I really stayed away from it. And then like years later, being in the police department, one of my friends uh, that was in my platoon, he ended up being in the sniper section. He called me up and he's like, hey, I'm going to be in the city. You know, you want to go out for a drink and everything. So I took him to the memorial, the, um, the I think it's called the Ponds Reflection. It's like mm-hmm. big, you know, the, and I remember going there and it the just an eerie feeling. You know, I've been there many times since. But just that was like the first time in years and years since I'd been there. And it's just like just an unsettling feeling. And I actually went I, right before the pandemic. I went to an event that was at the museum there. It was the first time I've ever been there. You, you, have you been to the World Trade Center Museum? I have. I have. Oh, uh, I haven't yeah, been inside powerful. the museum. I've been there twice. But the line to get in is forever uh, to get in. I, I've tried to figure out a couple ways. Now, I've been in all the buildings surround, you know, uh, yeah. where you can go. And I want to bring that up because it was always weird to me when, when I went back there the last time we took uh, all three of our daughters to New York for Christmas time. And uh, we went down there and there was like a new shopping mall in the area of the world trade center or, or yeah, the, I think it's uh, like- freedom one plaza. And it it was so crazy to see on this hallowed site, like selling Casper mattresses and makeup and things like that. And it, it almost kind of, I don't want to say it cheapened the area, but it, it felt strange to me to be yeah. somewhere like that. Yeah, no, I, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the museum with the line, though, it is pretty wild. There was an, uh, like a private event that I ended up getting invited to, and I went and I was able to go in there. But, like, that, it's definitely an experience, you know, going inside that museum. There's a lot of, um, a lot of stuff in there. You know that brings you back. It's a, it's 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 a it's a hard place. You know? Yeah, uh, the the pools of reflection. Those that is awesome. Um, just yeah. how they built. I mean, they really took care in in building that. And so, family in general, what did you notice a different? Did you notice a difference in New Yorkers? Because you really did. Like in the military and and just people in general, there was that that spark of patriotism, everyone kind of got along. Did you notice a difference in New York? Oh, absolutely. You know, everybody was a lot more friendly, you know, to, you know, the police department, the fire department and everything like that. But um, there was definitely a, um, a united uh, front, you know, to see who, who was responsible for this and to get on to it, you know, and, and take the fight, you know. Now, originally, where where are you? at in this time frame like where are you living in that area oh, i lived i actually lived a little far out from i lived on long island out in suffolk county which is like um it's, uh, i'm trying to think like maybe an hour and a half away okay so I, I was a good distance away it wasn't like i was point blank right there right um so with with going into the military you tell your family now they were a little concerned they backed you up on it but they were a little concerned that you wanted to yeah, do yeah. this so <laughs> How did that conversation go with them? I mean, they were concerned and, um, it, you know, it was a little upsetting to them and stuff, but, you know, they backed me a hundred percent and, you know, I felt that calling and that was it, you know, they, you know, they weren't going to hold it back and I just, you know, went through with it. So you go in, you go to basic, uh, everything goes through. Now you were OSA, right? Yes. So yeah, you did. Yeah. 
Yeah, so no, you did yep. everything there. Uh, you go over to the third ID. When you get ready to deploy, your unit was already in Iraq, correct? Yeah. So I, I, I got to 1st Brigade, and they already deployed. They went to Kuwait in, I think, January. So what happened, the invasion kicked off March 19th. They went over the berm. 3rd ID took Baghdad, I think, April 4th. So I didn't get there until later in the month. I actually went as a um, like replacement group for people that had, that had to leave emergency and people that were killed. So they were like, re so like I went with maybe uh, my my battalion. I was in two seven infantry. We had about I think like 30, 40 guys. And then as soon as we got to uh, Kuwait, we flew up to Bag uh, Baghdad Airport that was you know recently captured. My actually my company actually captured it. They put you know we all got picked up and we went into lower uh, Baghdad and they split us all up and we each went, got assigned to different platoons and different companies and then, you know, covered down and fulfilled all the different missions we had to do until we left. Coming there as a replacement and people already being there now, they, they had already taken an airport and things like that. Are you yeah. treated different? Is it, is it strange kind of stepping into that world? So, yeah. So we get on the, we actually, we get on C-130 we actually, we fly everyone. It is a good story. So, um, they tell us from like, I think it was, we were at Doha. We drove to some airport in the middle of Kuwait and we took a C-130 and they told us about two hours we're going to land there. And, um, within an, so I fall asleep within an hour, we're in the cargo nets. I forget what national guard was flying us, but the, the C-130 starts to lose altitude. So I kind of wake up and I'm like, oh, we landed. And I look, and the Air Force, it's so loud back there, you can't hear anything, and half the guys are sleeping. You see the Air Force guys taking um, Kevlar padding with Velcro, and they're Velcroing it, putting it up around the door, and they're standing behind the door, and the plane starts <laughs> losing altitude, going up and down. So I look at the uh, the Air Force crew, uh, crew chief near the pallet of equipment. I'm like, yo, are we, are we landing? And he's like, no, we're taking fire from the ground. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? And then the plane starts weaving about. Half the guys are asleep. <laughs> And, um, you know, we end up, you know, the plane gains altitude. So, like, what were they taking fire from? Was it small arms fire? Was it crew served? Who knows? So, we end up going, we get to Baghdad, we do the corkscrew, land, and as we're getting ready to land, they're like, when you get off, when we're going to land the plane, we've been taking sniper and mortar fire. You're going to just get in a single file and just get off the tarmac as fast as possible. And, um, you know, the plane landed and we got off and stuff like that. So I never found out what type was shooting at us, but you know, that plane was, um, you know, I'm like, yeah, it was pretty intense. I'm like, what? I'm not even going to make it. So, um, they pick us up and just give, you know, answer your question. My platoon was aces. So a lot of these guys had guys that were killed, you know? So you, like, you see the movies, right. You know, like who's the new guy, you know, I don't want to learn your name. You're going to die and stuff. Right. My platoon was awesome. They're very nice. You know, of course, I got stuck with the shitty jobs right away. I'm the new, um, you know, the FNG. It is absolutely, what it is. but um, but um, it was good. But I, I was with some hardcore guys, man. You know, they fought their way up. You know, they were at the. There was a big battle at the Kabbalah Gap where they took on a bunch of Republican guards, and then they seized the airport and they um, uh, Bravo Company and two seven FG. The first javelin um, what anti tank kill. They blew up a T seventy two. They you know they were taking a lot. They had a Medal of Honor winner. Sergeant First Class Smith was attached to my battalion at um, the airport. So I was stepping into some big shoes. So, you know, I kept my mouth shut and was just did, did what I was told. And it was, you know, squared away as possible. And they, they were nice to me. 
I heard I heard some other stories. You know, the guys weren't well received. You know, different ways and stuff. But it is, you know, it is it, it is what it is. But you know, that's that's not always necessarily on the receiving unit. That might be on the guys getting there. It might be attitude, 100%. behavior. I mean, there there's a a lot there's of different a reasons. Things. Yeah. Now I gotta ask though. As you see this guy strapping up the Kevlar and you ask him, hey, are we landing or what? No, we're taking fire. This is your introduction into combat. I I mean, technically it is. You're on your way there. I got to know what was going through your mind. Like, holy shit, I'm not even on the ground yet. (laughs) I I laughed it off because it was insane. And like, you're powerless. Like, there's nothing you can do, you know? And it's, it's funny, though, because rem- we had a captain that was in charge of the truck. So we had two C-130s that were, like, flying. And like, when we landed, the captain's like, hey, what the hell's wrong with you guys? Are you guys getting sh- I heard you guys were getting shot up. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually Google searched it, and I was trying to find, like, any – there were, there's a whole list of occasions when planes were shot at, you know, C-130s and stuff. But I, I couldn't find, you know, the, the date when, when it happened and stuff. But um, pretty wild story, man. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's quite the introduction. I mean, you're drinking from a fire hose right then. So you, <laughs> you you get on the ground, you move into your unit. Is it what you seem? Because I've I've talked to a couple of guys that that joined just like you did with nine eleven and everything, and they they think it's going to be one way. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I talked to Tony Brooks, and he went straight Ranger, and um, he was on uh, the Lone Survivor. His very first mission was uh, going to find wow. Marcus Luttrell. Wow. But he 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 talks about that uh, he expected it to be one way and it was completely another direction. Did you feel the same way or did it kind of go the way you wanted it or or at least thought it was going to? So my first deployment didn't see that much action, like pretty much like this is my opinion, everything. The Iraqi forces were like just devastated and had no clue what the hell was going on. We're terrified of us like dirt id rolled in there and like the thunder run that went down and stuff like destroyed everything like there was abandoned tanks bmps you know so many of the forces who just threw their hands up and just faded away so there was a couple skirmishes we got involved in and stuff but it was very very low you know we had humvees you know you know no armor on the humvees sandbags no doors driving around deuce and a half in baghdad um you know very different as the ending, as I went, we went back in September, the, the insurgency started to, sh- they started to figure out how to kill us and attack us. And like first infantry division is the one that took a big brunt of like the initial, you know, IEDs and people right. getting killed. Like we had, I think a guy in headquarters had his legs blown off by a mine, but like it just, it just started. So like when I was there, the Iraqis were like terrified, you know, like they, they, nobody was messing around. And also too, like the guys I was with were a bunch of, uh, stone cold killers (laughs) so it was like it was pretty brutal but um my second tour that's you know when when all the all the stories and the shit hit the fan and everything like that that was like the real blood and guts deployment so but um you know it's good times good times (laughs) so do you see uh kind of a a teamwork building on that first one there's not a lot of not a lot of action like you said but uh, do you see that you're getting closer with the team and and i'm sure that pays off on the second deployment yeah so i i'm trying to think of the number i i would say maybe about 30 percent of the guys in that platoon left after the first deployment so i had a lot of the leadership and um a lot of the ncos and everything from the first deployment and it, it played a really big part 
in the second deployment because my platoon was really, you know, this sounds a little, they were very squared away. Like I had an awesome Lieutenant, my platoon Sergeant was the man, like everybody, my NCOs, you know, I had a lot of Rangers and stuff like they, you know, very well to do guys. And like first guys I would pick to go to war with very lucky, very fortunate. Well, not only that, you, you talk about the leadership being good, but yours is the only one that didn't suffer any casualties yeah. and no major injury, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's a case of luck. But um, there was a lot of things that were like, we're not going to do it this way. We're going to do it this way. You know, like just playing it, you know, not necessarily running in, you know, blind, kicking doors and stuff like that. Everything was very methodical and like we were very violent, man. Just the violent of action, you know lane rounds that like the guys i was with were very well to do like when shit hit the fan and all many skirmishes like very overwhelming firepower and like platoon sergeant and lieutenant made great calls and you know it it really paid off i want to compare these later on when we talk about going to the nypd when you talk about that violence of action and stuff because you're you're taught a very i mean this is your introduction into kind of adulthood and, and you're taught before the NYPD ever this violence of action. And, and it's such a difference when you go into police work there, there yeah. of course is violence and there is, you know, on a search warrant and things like that, there's, there's violence all around you, but you have to approach it differently. So as we get into the police force, I want to kind of go back and forth with that. Um, I had asked you for a couple pictures, and this is one of them. Can you tell me what's going on in this picture? So, okay, yeah, this is a good picture. The um, I like this picture. I got a cigarette in my mouth. <laughs> the um, we were doing a, a bunch of missions with the Iraqi Army, the IA, as they they called them at the time. So we would go to their outposts. We'd pick them up. My platoon. I was in a mechanized platoon, so we had four Bradleys, and then we'd had two squads with a weapons team. You know shot between them so we would pick these guys up and they would drive in like f-150s with like no armor with like rpk machine guns on the back <laughs> yeah it's like and we would take them out on patrol and like try to show them you know so we did that a couple times and then we had like a big firefight where one of they killed one of their own guys by accident and that was uh pretty much the kibosh but like it these guys in the picture are, like you know they're young man they're, like 20 years old 19 like you know, you always wonder, like, where are they now? Did they, you know, did they make it out of there? You know, what happened? So the guy with the saw, that was my battle buddy. So my buddy, James Garrett, he was a good dude. A lot of, a lot of stories. <laughs> well, in talking about that, when, when you work with the Iraqi army and everything, um, did you ever have trouble because people have talked about it? Some got along great with their Terps and all that kind of stuff. Did you guys ever have trouble with kind of getting them to understand like, Hey, this is your country. You got to fight for it. And, or did you, you know, where they're backing out of things or did, did you guys have really no trouble uh, kind of being cohesive with them? I mean, we, we, we showed them what to do and then we, we'd lead them, you know, we'd lead from behind, you know, lead them from in the front at first and then they take the charge and stuff. And we did a couple you know, missions with them, but that one mission I was telling you about was complete shit show. And then, like, my lieutenant went to my CO. I was like, yo, that's it. We're done. So I, I actually remember, like, we, the missions we did, we started in, like, the, the, the safer side of the city. And, like, the closer you got into the inner sanctum is, like, where it got more dangerous. So, like, the next day, we're, like, waiting for it, make contact next day. And then, like, we went to, like, the shitty part. And then we sure as shit, we made contact. And we had a whole firefight. And then they ended up killing one of their guys by accident and um, complete mess. And we were just like, you know, that could have been one of us. You know, it was just Absolutely. they were shooting in you know, the guy ran past me and started indiscriminately shooting down the street 
and then shot one of the, one of the, their own guys standing outside a gun truck. You know, it will end up being the, like the cousin of the their lieutenant, and um, just a mess. And this is all you know triaging this guy while the whole gun battle's going on. You know, and um, so that was the, that was the end of that year working with them. <laughs> well, so what happens to those guys once once you guys cut them loose? Do you do you know what happens to them, or do they just kind of start doing their own thing, or what what happens? So. I mean, I'll give you, I'll, you want to give me, I'll give you like a, a synopsis of like my, okay. my second appointment. So my second appointment was in Samara in 2005. We got there in Jan, like early January, or late December. So the mini story with that was during the invasion, they drove past it and it was a, it was a, a hotbed for insurgents. So I believe uh, for, uh, first uh, infantry division, big red one, they went in there around Easter Sunday, got into a huge gun battle, killed like 150 people. So they backed out. And they would occasionally do missions into the city. and But every time they went in there, the insurgents had time to set up IEDs, booby traps, ambushes like that. So eventually, first uh, infantry division's like, you know, this isn't working. We're going to put a thumb in their eye. We're going to go attack them again, do a midi Fallujah, press in there, and then we'll set up a, a patrol base in the middle, a strong point in the middle of the city so we can have eyes on the city all the time. And then we'll do our operations out there. The closest fob was Brassfield Mora. And that was about 45 minutes away. So they did Operation Baton Rouge. I think it was with the Louisiana National Guard and Pennsylvania National Guard. So they went in there. They killed like another 120 people. A couple of people got injured and killed. And a guy, I think from the Pennsylvania National Guard, his name was uh, Sergeant Uvani, I believe. So that's what they named it after. So they seized it. So that was in, I think, October. So we take it over they were attacked all the time. So we, we literally show up there and we're going to do ride, see, ride with them. And day one, they mortar the shit out of place. I'm actually, I actually go, I go into the building, I'm looking around, I go out back to my track, to my, my Bradley to get some equipment and it, it took off and went to go get fuel. So as I'm walking back, I see a mortar hit like 70 feet away from me, hit an Iraqi oh, soldier. Shit. And it, yo, I was like this, like this. And a bunch of soldiers dive on top of them, grab them, start dragging them. And it was just giant, plume of smoke it must have been like a 60 i'm like so I, I turn like this i see them and i just did like a slow slow jog like fuck yeah we go into the medic like so i, I don't know where i'm going i go to the side door and it's the, the aid station and you see like the iraqi on his uh, on his back he lost some fingers and the american had shrapnel on his ass he's screaming i look at my sergeant i'm like yeah this is gonna be a good year right so um but we were constantly attacked so then they were telling us stories like, you know, don't go here, here. You're going to make contact here, this and that. And then slowly it all came, you know, came to a reality. And then, you know, they said goodbye, have fun. And they all went back to Germany and uh, we sat there and fought for a year. And um, we, I mean, the main plan, we, we did missions where we tried to, um, you know, we, you know, bring supplies and support to the hospital and reach out to elders. The, the police, uh, the local police precinct, they all quit. They got overrun and like 30 of them got killed. And um, it was just chaos and anarchy. So we were all we were doing is going out there, trying to kill insurgents, you know. And then we halfway through the deployment, we came up with a, a system where we do the, like the hunter killer teams. We have OPs hidden everywhere, and that really depleted the insurgents. But um, it, you know that constant state of war really doesn't help, you know, the community and the city, you know. So, but that's that's the card we were dealt with, and we did the best we could, and you know push through 
Well, so there's a couple things with you telling that story that I want to ask you about that, that yeah. bring up. So when you talk about right seat ride, uh, for people that are listening, I think you're talking about right seat, left seat. Uh, they're going to take yeah. you out, uh, show you around, then you're going to occasionally switch over to the left, and then finally you'll take over the left seat. Um, so you go out and you do that. Now, a couple questions that I want to kind of tie back into law enforcement. So you see these law enforcement or the police and these you know, small areas or these villages or whatever, or just the Iraqi police force and stuff. Now that you're a police officer, of course, there's, there's not the, I I guess the, the structure and stuff, but what's the difference as you notice, why do these police forces never last over there? Is it because of constant terrorist attacks? Is it because there's no structure? Is it because of corruption? But we see them fall over and over and over again. Yeah, it's, it's a lot, I guess a lot of corruption and also, you know, like, you know, like you look at the full of Afghanistan that just happened, you know, like they pretty much rolled up like, hey, we know who you guys are, you know, you know, join us or die. And it's just like, uh, you know, like, you know, that's the decision you make. You know, you're going to die right. on this hill for your country or you're just going to take the easy out. It's like it's, it's hard. To, you know, it's a hard decision, you know, that they're faced with, you know. It's it's probably a very different kind of policing too. They're not, I don't think they're running. <laughs> I don't think they're running radio calls and stuff, but. <laughs> What, what I've noticed whenever people talk about that, like the when they go to train the police forces or there's just kind of no structure there. No one's really I mean, there's people in charge, but the people in charge don't know shit different yeah. than the people that aren't in charge. I mean, there's just, you know, and and so I see that. So I try and ask law enforcement that I have on the show and stuff. What What's the kind of differences you see? How did you see it change while you were there? Did you see any progression in it, like where it got better? They, <clears throat> they came back, I'd say about halfway through the year. Like we actually helped build a, a, a precinct for them. Like so at night we drove in and we fortified, you know, had we pulled 360 security while another platoon filled sandbags and we, we built it and then we got them to come back. And um, but, you know, it, it's hard. You, you're right. They, 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 the structure, a lot of leadership is, you know, people that have money. And, and family members and ties and stuff. So like, you know, the amount of respect, you know, it's, it's um, for leadership and it's, just, it's hard. It's, you know, it's really hard. You, they need a sense of nationalism and like, to, you know, do the right thing for their country. And, you know, it's, it's a hard, nation building is a hard thing as, as we've seen through historic, you know, history. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and you talk about that. I, I've got to know what the conversation is to get these guys to come back to a blown out police station. Like I'm now don't get me wrong. In the last couple of years, we've had those same discussions in the United States, which is crazy that I'm even saying that, but it's true then, to then. get people to come back to these bombed out stations, uh, being reinforced. Are you seeing in the big city? Now we're going to kind of tie law enforcement in with it. Are you seeing that in the big city? Because I got to tell you where I'm at in the city I'm in, and you and I both know where I'm at, they barricaded the whole downtown. They, they yeah. would, when, when the election happened, they boarded up yep. the entire downtown. Now that's a major metropolitan area. Something has gone wrong. If you're boarding up the entire downtown and you've got to see that being the Mecca. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I worked that night too. And, um, yeah, it was, you know, 
private companies hired private security, armed security, and they, they, you know, boarded it up as if it was a hurricane coming through. And then we were all out there and, um, you know, you got to take, you know, law enforcement's out there, but at the end of the day, you have, you know, you're responsible for yourself. And a lot of people, I guess, understood that and, um, you know, set up just in case. I, I will never forget what it looked like. It, it I, I remember, <clears throat> excuse me, I remember fires burning and, and glass broken out of building. I mean, it was the craziest thing I've seen. The question to you would be, after fighting for this country and doing everything, you know, your Pearl Harbor, all that kind of stuff, you come back here and you see something like this happen after you get into the role of law enforcement. That's got to juggle in your brain a little bit. Yeah. No, it, it, it does. So, but, you know, it's hard, man, you know, so, but I'm a professional and, you know, I'm total. I'm going to total line and do, you know, do my job and um, everybody, you know, they can rely on me. I can rely on them and just got to keep going forward, you know, as I'm in this role and this is my job, you know, that's it. Um, have you, have you noticed a difference in um, being back Uh, over here in the States, have you noticed a difference? We talked about the patriotism and stuff after 9-11. Has has it gotten pretty much back to business as usual, or do you still see in that area like uh, people trying to make a a great New York City and stuff? Because there's a lot of good that's going – there's a lot of bad. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of bad going on, but that's every major metropolitan. Is there a lot of good going on too? Because all we're going to see in the news is the bad because that's what sells papers. No, there's there's a lot, man. There's a little in like my department. There's a lot, a lot of friends that went on to bigger, better things in the department and doing great work. And like you know, everybody, everybody's you know, you know what it is? It's the pendulum, you know. Like absolutely bad, good. It goes yep. it goes back and forth. And you know, I've been on the department for almost sixteen years now. So like I, you know, I saw what it was back then, you know, and now I see what it is now, and it's a big difference. Like. You know, I got to see, you know, the Bloomberg era and all, all of that compared to now. So, but, um, you know, once again, though, you know, you're on the five yard line. You just, you gotta, you gotta play football, you know, like, you know. So let's go back over. Cause I want to talk a, a little bit more about when you're deployed, because I want to talk about your sure. purple heart. I want you to tell that story. I don't want to interrupt you a lot while you're doing it. Cause it's a crazy story. Cause I've heard you <laughs> tell it before. And, um, not only what happens when the actual initial blast goes off, but what happened afterwards is even crazier part to the story. So you go ahead. And then if I want, I'll kind of interject in with questions and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, it was early, you know, early in deployment, which is, which is insane. You know, like I've, I've met a lot of people that have been hurt, you know, killed early. And like, I, we, our first guy that got killed, our second deployment was like day 12. We got hit by a mortar doing gate guard on a, a one, one, three ABC. So it's just, it's just, it's insane. You just never know like when things will go down. So it was April 9th, 2005. And, um, there was a cemetery near the, near this one of this big golden mosque. And it was off limits prior because all the killing that they did there, the battalion before us was kind of like, eh, we're going to kind of lay off like religious sites and cemeteries close to them and stuff just to not bring the aggravation up to the max. So, um, so we get there and then they were, my CEO is like, no, we got to go in there. He's like, they're definitely hiding, um, you know, IEDs and weapons caches in there. So my city was so bad 
like from what do you call it? It was eight o'clock at night to six o'clock in the morning. It was a curfew. It was like a shoot shooter capture curfew. Like nobody was on the street. So what they would do is they would sneak through back alleyways and pull stuff out of the cemetery. So we go in there. Our mission is just to sweep the cemetery. So it was kind of like an L and, um, what do you call our Bradley's go, we we deploy, we jump out. And um, I'm actually point man going in there. We have two squads, first squad and second squad. And um, one guy's got the mine detector out and everything. And we're like, uh, we're like this going through like shit. And uh, there's um, all the graves are very shallow. So like mounds of dirt everywhere. And there's like debris and like pieces of shrapnel and stuff. The whole, like we're walking in there like this thing's going to blow the hell up. So we go in, we open up this red gate, and we start to slowly go through. And we're in wedges. So we're in our formation, walking, and we're going through. And my platoon sergeant, who's the man, he's just walking through, picking stuff up, looking, and, like, completely tense, 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 waiting to get ambushed, waiting guys come off the, you know, start shooting ass from the rooftops. We go in there, and this is, like, early. This is, like, before lunch. And um, we're going through, going through. We don't find anything. Metal detectors are going. So two squads go in. We get to the end of it. I remember looking at my lieutenant, like my lieutenant's looking around, like we've cleared the whole cemetery. And I'm like, hey, it's time to mount up, sir. Time to mount up. And he's like, yeah, Klein, time to mount up. Hey, let's mount up. Get the fuck out of here. So we start to walk. And so it's like an L. So we're in the back here. And I, our squad has to go make a left to this red gate. And um, what do you call it? The other squad's going to move and hop, hop a fence and then go to their Bradleys on the street. So my Bradleys on the other side of this wall with a red gate. And we're walking. And um, so I'm point man. So I didn't have my sunglasses that day. So I had my, thank God, I had my SXX, whatever, goggles on, like ballistic goggles on. So like going into the cemetery, I'm at the, I'm at the ready. I'm ready to rock and roll, everything like this, all tight. On the way out, I'm kind of (laughs) like, and I remember as I'm walking point man, and I look down at my feet, I see the red gate. I look down at my feet again, and the entire earth comes flying up just giant cyclone of just dirt and smoke fly up. I go flying up in the air, like four feet off the ground, just lifted. My rifle goes flying. I go flying in the air, hit land on my back. And all I thought was like, fuck, they, they blew me up. And I thought it was the initiation to an ambush. So like detonate, blow us up. And then they were just going to start spraying AK-47 rounds into the cemetery on top of us. So I rolled to my stomach and I started high crawling, and rolled over the top of a berm, uh, a grave, had my shotgun. I'm like this in shock. So I look down, pieces of debris are falling down. I look down, I, I look and I have blood on my, my chest and I have some pieces of skin. And this ear is ringing and this ear is completely dead silent. And I'm like, those motherfuckers, they blew my ear off, man. My ear is fucking gone. I'm like, so I'm like this with my one hand and I'm like, I don't want to touch this. I, I thought it was gonna have like a gaping hole. And I touch it and my, my, my ear is there. I'm like, oh, fucking ear. So I quickly roll over and I just see all this dust and smoke settling. And my, everybody hit the dirt. And I see my lieutenant like, come on, you okay? And I'm like, I got blown the fuck up, sir. He's like, don't fucking move. <laughs> <laughs> so next thing I know, my squad leader comes running over, the man. Sergeant Zim, the man. He comes running over, grabs my, my uh, thing, and starts dragging me. They throw me on my back. You hear my platoon sergeant screaming, like, everybody smash the area up. So everybody starts spreading out, running all over the place, and they start smashing in the houses. So I'm laying on my back, and, like, my entire leadership, like my lieutenant, the two squad leaders, my platoon sergeant looking down at me like this, 
and I'm like covered in blood and I just see a beautiful blue sky and they're all like, he's bleeding, but it doesn't look too bad. I'm like, <laughs> I'm laying on the back. So the medic's just wrapping me up like a mummy. So I was in shock. As soon as I knew I wasn't bad, I was like, I felt, I felt pretty badass. But now I'm all wrapped up and everything. Jumped up. My squad leader, he went to the hole. The hole was six and a half feet wide by three and a half feet deep. Holy Monster, shit. Monster fucking hole, man. It, it like, you know, literally like that day, JC who came down was like, oh, not, not your day, dude. And um, I'm amazed, you know, like reflecting back on it, it you know, I should have at least got a puncture wound, lost a limb. I was right next to that thing. And I have, I have photo, like, we went back there a million times afterwards. And like, I took photos of the hole and everything. So I'm up, I fall into with the squad. I actually fell into the wrong squad, second squad. They go, so they smash into houses and there's like no mil, there's no men anywhere. There's like women in the houses and stuff. And um, the medic grabs me, brings me to a room. He's like, yo, start taking your clothes off. So I took all my, my, my vest, my, my stuff off from the waist up. And he starts patting me down, making sure I didn't have any puncture wounds I didn't know about. And then like having an adrenaline rush. And I was like, oh, as I'm bleeding out. So I'm like sitting there and this woman's like, oh my God, what? you know? <laughs> so I'm fine. He's like, yo, get dressed, get back up. Have my face all bandaged up, my helmet kind of like up on top. And um, I turn the, um, walk out, I turn the corner and I hear, you motherfucker. And like, yo, we got him, we got him. I turn around, they got the guy. So I'm going to Quentin Tarantino the story. We'll go back in time. Okay. When we show up, the Bradley shows up, the ramp comes down, we dismount, we go into there. The gunner and my Bradley is hanging out the top, you know, pulling Overwatch. A bunch of kids run up to the Bradley, so he starts throwing candy at them. So a dude comes over, and he's like, starts yelling at the kids, like, get away, get away, screw the Americans, get away. So my buddy starts talking shit to him, like, yo, I'm going to fuck you up. So the Iraqi guy mead mugs him, gives him a dirty look, and walks off, and goes into an abandoned building that's overwatching the cemetery. So he really he sees the guy, keeps an eye out, he disappeared into the building paid him no mind and then once the id went off he was like shit that guy so when second squad came around he pointed at the building they ran up there he they tackled him he was on the, the third story he tried to make a run for the window so he threw something out the window they tackled me dragged him down zip tied him they sent the guy down and they got the car garage door opener that set the bomb off so this guy you know heard us come and was like crap ran there he was too late we were already in there so he just got to a good place and waited for us to come back and as we came back you know thank god you know he he clicked it before i got directly on top of it so they're like klein guard the guy try to kill you so i go in the bradley, <laughs> i go in the bradley with the guy trying to kill me yo out of world experience like there's like there's a couple stories like this and just like you know the guy trying to blow me up you know blow me to kingdom come and standing right there so real I, fast i gotta yeah, stop yeah. you for just a second <laughs> do you say anything oh of course so i just look at this guy like so my ex-wife was pregnant at the time so i'm like you trying to stop me from seeing my baby dude and he was like baby baby it was, just, you know, it was off to the races you know so we had a conversation and that was it okay but um we, we brought him in and um they interrogated him and stuff like that now the, the big thing was they brought the engineers in the next day they had to evacuate three times. So so you have this giant L-shaped cemetery, right? Right, IED, IEDs, weapons and all stuff supposedly hidden here. As soon as you walk through the red gate, exactly to the right, everything was buried. So that IED was like right there as a booby trap. 
they pulled out mortars, RPGs, machine guns, AK-47. There was a gigantic cache there, and it was booby-trapped as well. So the engineers kept, like, they just, as they're going through it, they kept, like, evacuating it to make it safe. And finally, they ended up clearing it, making it safe, and they put it inside, like, a mausoleum, and they did a controlled detonation and blew it up. But thank God, because if that IED would have triggered that stuff, it would have probably killed my entire squad. We would have got, it would have just blown half that cemetery to pieces. But, um... It's pretty wild that, like, you know, we're looking over here when it was, like, right directly as soon as you walked in. So, but um, very blessed. Very blessed. So when it goes off, are you the only one hurt? Yeah, I was I was the only one, man. Wow. I just took a little bit of shrapnel to the side of the face and, like, neck, and that was it, you know. Very, uh, very superficial, you know, very fortunate, you know. And, um, you know, I count my blessings. It was, <laughs> it was right there so i'll send you some pictures of what it looked like yeah <laughs> that, that, that would be awesome um so let me ask you so how do you guys get on the intel of this place in in the first place because i know that it was it was supposed to be off limits and that's why they were storing it there because you guys weren't supposed to be in there and you weren't supposed to be looking around i i don't i don't know if it i don't know if that's the right term off limits to you guys but you guys kind of kept away on yeah so there was like a, there was a, like a bunch of sites that were just kind of like yeah we're not gonna play hardball over here you know like because we were like we're gr- we were like grinding them into the ground you know so that was just the scenario and that was like it was like the last straw so like we hit a bunch of cemeteries a couple of the platoons hit other cemeteries at the same time and went in some places but um that was it so the last thing that I want to talk about is you mentioned it briefly. Uh, but I want to talk about them. You had kill teams that were going out, I guess at yeah. night. Um, yep. and, and that's where you really started kind of crushing the insurgency. Uh, yep. can, can you, I don't know how much you can tell about them, but can you kind of describe what they were and, and what you guys yeah. were doing in these? So like when we first got there, we would just do kind of like presence patrols and we just drive around and try to make contact. And then like one, then we came up with a, um, a scenario where we would actually hide like half the platoon would hide out. And we would just, the other half would be, it would be your time to be bait. And we would just kind of drive around and try to draw fire. And then when we draw fire, we, re, you know, return suppressive fire. And um, we'd call out where they are and the other platoon would, you know, flank around and, and try to catch them and stuff. But like, you're having these giant firefights in heavy urban, you know, cities. It's a problem. So what we did was with the curfews, we started doing these little kill teams. We do like, we do four to like six. Sometimes we do a squad, but sometimes we did four. Like I was out on a four man one a lot of the time. And um, we'd sneak out at night and, you know, try to, uh, the CO would give us a, like a, um, a place he would want us to watch. And we'd stay there for anywhere from a day to three days or whatever. And we just hide out. And we always had a QRF at the patrol base ready to rock and roll guys and Bradleys and stuff, you know, a couple blocks away. And we just sit there and wait. And then there was days when nothing happened and you just, you know, and then there were days when guys would pull up, you know, with shovels and, and dig holes for IEDs or guys would sneak out with AK-47s and other types of weapons. And, you know, we'd kill them. And um, that was pretty much it. And then it came to a point where, like, all the major streets, because you'd see these streets that were just cratered and, you know, pockmarks everywhere from just the constant IEDs getting placed everywhere, that um, they they couldn't no longer put them on major roads. So they just stick IEDs in, like, side, and side streets and stuff like that they were too afraid to come out you know because uh, they knew we were just hiding everywhere so when we go to your we go to these people's houses we were pretty much taking them hostage for the day like we couldn't let them leave the families leave because they would tell a neighbor the neighbor would tell us and the insurgents wouldn't know where we were 
we would get ambushed, you know, all different types of scenarios. But um, that was like the biggest strategy. You know, it alienated the community, but it really got, you know, to the heart of the ins- killing the insurgents. Well, I, I I hear a story of a kill uh, kill team mission that you were on where you guys got lit up on a rooftop. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was a fucking nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> they told uh, you uh, at the end of it, it. You you can tell it if you'd like. I I think it's a hilarious story in retrospect <laughs> now, but how they tell you it's okay, but there's like forty AK rounds behind you in the wall, but. Yeah. I would love you to tell that story, just a you know yeah, a quick I'll, version I'll of that. <clears throat> I'm gonna need a drink. I'm gonna drink a water for this one. Okay. But, um, yeah. No, that was um that was that was a you know it. There's the I guess the the moral of the story is you just you know you got to be on you know never feel sorry for yourself and always be on you know on top of your game. You know, like in law enforcement. You know, like oh, you know your partner gets out of the car, get out of the car. Oh, this one's fine, but you. You always got to have your head in the game because the moment you let it down, you know, your world can go to shit. And there was many scenarios and stuff where I was on point, you know, I was waiting for it to come and stuff. This one, I was worrying about something else. And these guys, you know, these dudes rolled up on us. So, okay. You always remember dates like this. It's a crazy fun. November 4th, 2005. I've got it written so in my like- notes. <laughs> <laughs> it, is uh, it was a fucking mess. So, November 4, 2005. So it's it's getting kind of like to the end of the deployment now. So we left in the end of December. So we're kind of like, all right, you know, we've we've had enough contact. We've done enough of this and that, you know, like we're just kind of, you know, playing a little safe now. So we go out as a four-man team. So I got my squad leader, my team leader, and my battle buddy who's a saw gunner. So we go out. The CO tells us he wants us to watch this really bad traffic circle. So we're like, all right, no problem. So we go in there. And I actually have photos before this happens and photos after it happens. So we go in there and we're trying to find like a good, and it's, it's dark out and it's in early in the morning, maybe like three o'clock or something. We're, we're trying to find like a nice tall building to overwatch this, um, this traffic circle. We have our radios. We're good. You have QRF guys mounted up, you know, hanging out back at the base. So we find the house, we knock on the door and the family answers and it's this nice um, husband and wife and like a ton of kids. So we're like, hey, you know, you have to stay here, this and that. And they're like, okay. They're like, really don't understand what's going on, but they're cool. So what we do is we go up to the rooftop and we set up our little OP and stuff. And um, we didn't keep somebody downstairs, which is another another big mistake. But we're like, whatever. We'll, we'll just go up to the roof. We set up the radio. We have one guy, like, watching the staircase down leading up. on. So the house is, like, three stories. You've got a flat roof. The second story has, like, a balcony with a staircase exposed to the outside going up to the roof. So that's all set up. So um, so we have the radio, one guy's watching the staircase, two guys are passed out, one guy's watching the radio. So we're taking an hour, you know, hour shifts and stuff. So, you know, it's going through uneventful. I take a couple pictures with a disposable camera. Ha ha, we're all smoking and joking. And um, it ends up being, I forget what time it was. It was probably like, a, like 11. It's like, so it's like getting be like lunchtime. And, um, I'm watching the radio, I'm watching traffic circle, and we're just kind of hanging out. And then all of a sudden I just hear a shit ton of AK-47 gunfire on the street below us. So so I'm like, oh shit. So I drop the radio, I grab my rifle, I spin around, and the walls are like these cement walls. And then there's like little openings with like metal grating, like very designy, like railings and stuff. 
So I walk up to the to the wall and I pop my head over the wall and my squad leader pops up. And I just see this white truck facing like southbound and this little car, all these people hanging out with their hands up and these two dudes with AK-47. So they just engaged, they just shot this car up and they were yelling at these people, like, get out, get out, get out. So at this time there was like these two tribes that were fighting a big, big war. And like our unit kind of supported the one because they were kind of like regular people. And the other ones were guys that were working with the insurgents and the car bombs, making car bombs and stuff. So like there was this whole like inner war thing going on in this, in the city. So anyway, I see these two guys with AKs aiming at these people. I'm just staring. I have my rifle up. I'm staring at them. Like, like this is all happening at once. My squad leader just snaps around off. Boom. These two dudes just spin around, look straight up at me. I just start, I just drop down, start engaging. Bum, 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 bum. So these two guys start running. So these guys from their car, they're trying to run to the truck. I'm just engaging. I'm trying to kill these guys more than life itself. I'm just shooting. Bang, 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 bang. Trying to miss, miss, miss. Leading them, doing everything in the and Like, shoot the rabbit, shoot the rabbit. These two guys run. They dive into the car. That's when I start hitting them. So I start shooting into the car. I shoot the side window, shooting the door. The car takes off. As it's driving, it goes, I'm still engaging it. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, disappears behind a car. I drop my magazine, 30 rounds. So from them running to them getting in the car, 30 rounds. Just like unloaded. Jump on the radio, you know, reload my magazine, jump on the radio. I'm like, my sergeant's like, yo, what the hell? What the hell? So while we're there so i'm on the radio and i'm like yo you know hey this is blue five romeo rock six rock six we just engaged uh two insurgents guys ak-47s possibly wounded they're in a white truck back windshield shot out side window shot out and there's bullet holes in the car it fled southbound blah 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 so a second um second platoon is on the on the radio great dude guy it was a 10th mountain mogadishu guy platoon sergeant's like what's going on there i'm like yo you know we got engaged and that he's like all right all right He's like, um, we're going to go look for that car. So the, that platoon branches off and starts looking for the car. So we hear screaming downstairs from the family. They, they're all startled and everything. So my um, squad leader is like, let me go down there and check it out. So my battle buddy goes down there with him. So it's me and my team leader stuck up there on the roof. So I go on the radio. So the CO is like, I'm expecting the CO to be like, ah, yeah, it's time to get out of there. You know, we're going to pick you up. He's like, yeah, stay there. Stay vigilant. You know, keep an eye out. We're like, all right, whatever. But everybody in town knows we're here now, you know. So like, I'm just, and we're the tallest building in this, in this part of the neighborhood. So I'm just waiting for like an RPG to come through. So I'm just sitting there. I'm like, all right, you know, whatever. So, so two guys go downstairs. I'm on the roof of my Sergeant. He's actually on the balcony. All of a sudden, um, I hear AK fire <laughs> rounds are flying over my head. I'm like, Whoa, shit. So I'm like, yo, Sarge, is that coming at you? And he's like, no, 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 it's at you. <laughs> I'm like, where is it coming from? So. I put my head up again, I'm looking, I'm looking, and I saw like a little mosque at the end of the street, like a, like a little like community mosque, I guess, I, I don't know. So I'm like, I think the rounds are coming from there. So then <clears throat> all of a sudden they start shooting again. <laughs> and I can't see where the muzzle is coming from, the rounds cooking over my head. So I get on the radio, I'm like, second platoon, there's a blue five Romeo. We're taking fire from this, we think it's like a corner mosque, can you come over here? And he's like, where's your location? So I'm trying to remember what I said. I told him the wrong location. So he, I, the, I was taking fire from the north uh, east, but I, th my, I thought my north was this way. So I tell him like northwest. So I'm like, northwest of us, yo, northwest of this location, blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, no problem. I'll be there. So like, that's what, you know, like, what, so that's what happened. So 
I'm sitting there, sitting there. All of a sudden, I hear the Bradleys roll up. I peep, peek over the top, and they're in the wrong direction. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, they're, I'm like, they're supposed to be over here. They're supposed to be over there. So I see the, the platoon sergeant hanging out the top of the Bradley with his binoculars. He's like, where the fuck are you? I'm like, I'm in this tall fucking building over here. And he's like, I don't see you. So I'm like, he's like, yo, jump up, jump up and wave at me. I'm like, all right. So I fucking, I'm like, are you ready? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. So I jump up, jump down. <laughs> I'm like, did you see me? He's like, no, do it again. I'm like, okay. I jump up. <laughs> they start shooting at me again. I drop down. I'm like, fuck, fuck. So I look at my sergeant. I'm like, Sarge, you got a star cluster? And he's like, oh, oh I do. So he had a star cluster. He rolls, runs up next to me. We're like back to back. He puts a star cluster in his, his uh, 40 millimeter grenade launcher, his 203 under his M4. Fucking back to back. He's like, we're going to shoot it. We're going to shoot a star cluster. He's like, all right, all right. We shoot it. <laughs> Goes up in the air. I'm just blue, beautiful blue sky. I look. And I'm like, oh, it's a dud. <laughs> it goes. I see exactly where you guys are. Bradley's come. They come down the street. They're turns. They're traversing, looking for targets. The gunfire stops. So the Bradleys keep rolling. And he's like, all right, you know, we don't see anything. You guys, you know, stay here. Stay cool. We're real close by. If shit happens again, come us back. We'll come over here. Like, all right, no problem. So my squad leader comes up on the roof with my other buddy and he's like everybody's cool downstairs he's like what the fuck is going on up here i'm like yo we're taking fire over here second platoon just rolled through this and that he's like get back on the radio and see if the see if we're gonna get extracted out of here because yo everybody knows we're here you know like we're just gonna be getting pelted nonstop. it's just a matter of time before a mortar uh an rpg hits hits the building so we're sitting there or whatever so i call him like hey rock six rock six i'm like blue five romeo this is um blue five one i forget i forget his call sign I'm like, your request to get extracted. And he's like, no, nah, stay there. Remain vigilant, 100% security. We're in the area. You'll be all right. I'm like, motherfucker, man. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like I don't, yo, we're, we were bait. That's, it's plain and simple. We were bait. We're sitting there just getting pelted. So I, you know, I started feeling sorry for myself. I was like, you know, this is fucking bullshit. This is fucking what a crock of shit, whatever, <sighs> whatever. So I'm looking at the traffic circle. Thank God these guys made a shit ton of noise. You just hear a car, boom, slam, brake slam, and you hear all these doors opening up. So I'm like, what the fuck is this now? So I spin around. I walk back up to the, that same wall that I walked up before, pop over my rifle. And what do I see? I see five guys with AK-47s running straight at us, just unloading at the waist. So I see it, rounds start cooking. I roll over to my side like this, rounds just spraying over the top. I'm like, oh shit, grab the radio. This all happened inside things. I just yell, no call sign up. I'm like, we're taking every fire. Fucking, um, my squad leader is the, is the fucking man. Now my squad leader, before he came to our unit, he did cold weather testing for the army. So that, that was his duty station. He was up in Alaska and he was, he was testing, field testing the uh, XM8 and a couple of the rifles and stuff. So that, the moral of the story is this guy, all he did was shoot. He jumped up, shot the lead guy dead in the chest. Guy dropped. Once he did that, all four of them just start running off in different directions. I jump up. I'm shooting. So across the street, you have one guy running north. There's a white truck like parked on the side. Guy runs behind that. Two guys run south. The two guys running south, my buddy, the saw gunner, he jumps up. He's unloading. He's trying to get him. I don't think he hit them. I think they got off. They definitely got away, but he's unloading on them. I start shooting it out with the guy on the other side of the truck. 
the one guy's dead in the street. Um, my team leader shoots the guy running north. He hits the ground. He's crawling away. He shoots him, kills him. And so I'm just going back and forth with this one guy. The guy drops down, just shooting rounds, shooting rounds. I'm like, there's one point where I'm shooting over my head, and like rounds are just cooking back and forth. And um, so I look, and the guy stops shooting. I can't, I fuck, I'm looking, 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 and like the rounds are coming in. Looking, looking. All of a sudden, I'm like, I totally lose sight. I'm like, where is he? He's behind the truck. The guy darts from behind the truck, and there's like a blue gate right next, um, in a courtyard, right, right behind the truck. Opens the gate, slams the gate. My squad leader shoots the gate three times. Boom, 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 boom. Second platoon rolls up. The Bradleys come back. So you got two guys laying dead in the street, and you got um the blue gate. So the ramp drops, and I'm like, yo, this fucking guy in there with the AK-47, right there, he's right there, he's right there. And um they they get their rifles up, they stack on the the door, they open the door, they walk right in, they walk right out, they drag him right out. My squad leader shot through the gate. Hit him in the neck and the head, blew his brains out. Just dragged him out dead. Friggin' that guy must have slammed the gate shut and just like been right behind it and took it right in the neck and the head. So next thing you know, so now we have three dead guys. So the um the Iraqi army shows up, the Iraqi police show up, my CO shows up, I think uh second platoon's there, you know, all that. They start bagging the bodies up and everything. Um you know, it's it's a big joke now. My CEO comes on the roof and he's like, he's like, ah, he sounded a little scared there. I was like, I'm like, look at the wall, sir. And there's like bullet holes all over the place. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, ah, he's like, you're gonna relist. I'm like, I'll think about it. At that time, we got belt buckles, battalion belt buckles for doing cool stuff. So I was like, sir, can, I, can we get our belt buckles? He's like, yeah, yeah, you can get your belt buckles. So then my squad leader starts talking to him, and um. He's like, what do you want us to do now? And the CEO's like, ah, just stay there for a little longer. So we stayed there for like another three hours. <laughs> they took the bodies and they left and stuff. And they're like, yo, we're close in the area. And um, we're going to keep looking for the other two guys that were shot initially. And um, But you guys stay here. So they end up finding the, the two guys that I shot. They were at, um, they went, they drove to the hospital and went in there. They actually medically uh, emergency uh, airlifted him out of there by Black Hawk and brought him to Camp uh, Camp Spiker. One guy I shot three times in the leg, and one guy I shot him uh, six times in the shoulder and the back. They had, so they actually did emergency surgery on the one guy before bringing him to um, Abu Ghraib. And um, there's actually more to the story than to that too. But um, yeah, so we sat up on the roof there for like three more hours. I'm just like, <laughs> and then, and then uh, we went back. You know, after that, that wrapped it up. But um. It was, yo, it was bad. Like I had an assault pack and there was a, um, a Red Bull in it that exploded. So I was like looking through the bag to see if a bullet went through it, but it ended, somebody must've stepped on it as we, you know, run around like uh madman up there, just snapping rounds all over the place. But, um, yeah, man, they, if those dudes were quiet and they got into the building, we would have had shit show on the staircase coming up, you know? So, but, um, and then to this day, we don't know if um see like we initially gauged the first guys if they knew we were americans or they thought we were the other tribe shooting at them you know like they you know we rolled up on them and that so they don't know uh, we don't know if they knew we were americans or we we thought they were we they thought we were the uh, the other tribe you know a bunch of gunmen from the other tribe so fast forward i think like a week later i had to go to camp spiker for something and um two of my buddies were on prison uh prisoner guard so the way they rotated it there was 
you always had to have somebody awake 24 hours with any of the wounded. And like the one part of the, the hospital was all insurgents. So they're all like, you know, they're all shackled and handcuffed to the beds and stuff. So it sucked. I felt like no, usually places full, but there was like nobody in there. So it was just my two friends watching this, these two guys I shot. So I ended up going to Camp Spiker and I'm, I felt horrible that these two guys were there by themselves, you know, constantly, you know, one guy had to be up. They were pretty much sleeping next to the, the, uh, the, the enemy guys. So I, I went there and I got to go see the two guys I shot up. And um, that was a weird experience, you know? So they were like, I go in there and the doctor's just like, he's like, yo, those, that's the guy that shot these two guys. I'm like, hey, <laughs> like, you know, it's just, you know, what it is. What is it with you and uh, having to get close to people after they try and kill you? Uh, that's the... <laughs> you know, I don't know. They were, yeah, it was there. I was like, yeah. And the guy's looking at me all like confused and stuff. He's like, oh, that's the guy that shot you. And I was like, hey, what's up? You know, what's going on? <laughs> It's like it's such a mess, but um, that was they ended up going to Abu Grave. That was gra. That was before they closed it down, right? So, but um, yeah, those dudes were coming, but yeah, that was it. Okay, so you you get out of the military, you come back. Now you've you've had all this action, especially on your second deployment. Um, you come back and you decide, all right, I haven't had quite enough action. Now I want to join because I know your friend talked you into doing it, right? Uh, taking yeah. the test, oh, saying, yeah. "Yeah, you need to do it right now," because you were going to put it off. Yeah, I was. You know, I was a big procrastinator in life. They, um, yeah, one um, actually it was I got back from Iraq the first time. It was 2003, and um, one of my friends, he was a New Yorker, a good, great guy, and he was like, "Yo, I heard they're giving out the NYPD test for free at the officers' club." I'm like, "Really?" They sent the NYPD sent recruiters to uh fort stewart and they've done it to like a lot of military bases and they give out the test so i think we went so i was kind of like ah, i don't want to go he's like no no we need to go we need to go so i had nothing going on i went with him we went to the officers club a bunch of nypd recruiters were there and they were like you know we're gonna give out your test you get your five military points you get we're gonna mail your scores you get your co to write a deferment letter sign off on it and send it to us and we'll hold your scores until whenever whenever you get out so it was and you know later on like i I literally got out of the army and um, I got back from Iraq second tour January of 2006, got out of the army in April. As I'm driving up I-95, I made a phone call, started my investigation three days later, and I was in the academy in three months. It, um, Man, that's really, crazy because it never really goes that fa fast. Oh, no, especially now. But um, yeah, no, it worked out. You know, I, you know, I had a, a wife with a kid, you know, I needed a job you know, pronto and NYPD gave me so much, you know, very, very fortunate that it all fell in line. So I, I heard in another interview, they were talking, they were asking you about what was harder basic in the military or the Academy. Of course mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're two separate things. Um, when you go though to the Academy, we talked mm -hmm. about this kind of in the beginning you have a kind of different sense of purpose, different sense of urgency. Like you just talked about your wife, uh, had, you had a baby, you needed a job. It's not time to fuck around. It's time to like settle down, no, do, absolutely. do what you got to do in the Academy. And, and I noticed that generally when I went through the Academy, there was people very dedicated to it. I, I think a couple of the younger ones weren't quite sure yet, but did you notice, because I noticed me, I was just trying to do the best I possibly could when I was in the academy and, yeah. and kind of get off on the right foot. No, absolutely. Like, you know, like I, so I, I did all that and now I come to a new world 
you know, which I don't know anything. And um, you got to prove yourself. And like, I'm a professional. So I, I'm going there and I'm not going to be a headache. And like, this is a, like, I need this job. I'm not like trying to find myself, you know, I'm, I'm you know, test it out, see if I like it. Like, I want this job and I'm going to bring everything I have to bear and, uh, you know, to achieve it and graduate and uh, move, move on, you know, like, it, you know, I had a wife, you know, a lot, a lot of people I was in the academy with, you know, they're all different ages, but predominantly them were younger. Right. You know, and I'm, I was already married a couple of years and with a kid and, um, you know, I needed, needed it and uh, I was going to do the best I could. So do you notice a difference when you go there? And, and what I mean by that, to me, the police academy was more cerebral than like basic in the military. Um, and what I mean by that is there was a lot more of in the military, you have to learn your tactics. You have to learn, you know, everything you have to do to perform your job. When you're in the police academy, though, you're learning stuff to literally keep you alive, one, but also keep you out of prison. I mean, yeah. it's a huge it's a huge weight. Now, like you said, you and I were older when we went to the academy, but that's a huge weight uh, as you're going through, because whether you realize it at the time or not, all that stuff will come back to you. Did you realize that while you were in the academy too? Like, man, this is this is a, a completely different way of learning because you have to be able to recall it at a moment's notice. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I would say I like the academy was good. I learned a lot, a lot of foundational stuff, but like like the first like six months year right. actually on the street is like where you 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 learn everything. And um, you know, also too like you like I like I'll be honest, like I studied so much for a test and like that's how it kind of like felt to me like i really need to apply things to understand them and like once i got to the street you know I, it kind of started all over again and learned everything that way you know that because by actually doing it and applying it like doing a mock scenario where it's like oh do arrest paperwork or do this and that <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it, i'm like yeah okay, where you okay. make up your <laughs> fake narrative and yeah <laughs> yeah you know but um but actually like applying it that was the big thing but i'll tell you though man like the like I don't know how it is now, but we had like a series of four tests. And, and if you fail one of the tests, you get a retake. And if you fail that, you're asked to resign. That, that's so how like, it was. Yeah. That is stressing enough. You know, like, you know, if, if that didn't work out for me, I would probably be back in the military or doing something, you know, but, um, so like a little, a lot of stress, you know, riding on it, you know? So how long was your Academy? Six months. So throughout the history of NYPD, it's always varied. Sometimes it's been eight months, nine months, yeah. you know, different, Sometimes they do they do a, like a couple months train up and then you go to uh, precinct and learn in, in, in like your academy uniform, then come back. But mine was uh, just six months. Yeah, I uh, mine was eight months and I think now it's nine months to go through mm. just because of, you know, the stuff they've added after, you know, the last couple of years, they've added some stuff in that they had to learn. When you get done with the academy, you go to the 101st precinct. Yep. In Queens. Now you said yep. you're from Long Island. So had you been around Queens? Had you uh, anything like that? Were you familiar with the area or did you do a wish list first? Yeah. Um, our wish list, I mean, everything, everything's changed now, but um, the wish list was, it was like three, it was like nine choices. So like 
there's patrol, there's housing, and then there was um, transit. Transit. So, you yeah. know, housing is like the housing projects and, and then you have transit, which is, you know, subways and stuff like that. And then you have patrol. So I always wanted, I wanted to do patrol. I want, like, you know, like that, that was just my style. Actually, yeah, that, that was my style. But um, so I picked, I kind of like picked closest to where I lived at the time. So I picked Queens. So I did patrol, Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan. And then I did, you know, transit. Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan, and then I did uh, housing, you know, Queens, and then I just I got patrol Queens, so it worked out very well for me. So, do you think you would have enjoyed uh, doing transit or housing? Now, a lot of I've heard people say that transit is probably the closest thing to the NYPD. It's not the same thing, and that all changed under Bratton, I think, where he brought all three online with yeah, each other, three. and then. But housing is you're you're just kind of keeping the law in the housing project. So do you think if you would have fallen into either one of those transit or housing that you would be as happy or mobility or tried to get somewhere else? So like the precinct I worked in had a lot, a lot of housing projects and actually had a housing satellite, which was cops from my precinct. I handled that. And like I did midnight. So I handled housing jobs. So like, you know, I got a nice taste of you know Absolutely. working in housing and stuff like that and um I, I, patrol i i mean i i liked patrol because it's like what you see on tv you know on cops cops <laughs> you know like you know you get the 911 call and you go respond and you handle domestics and you know emergencies and anything comes up and then we had a lot of pickup jobs where you you, you see a crime happening and you, and you go intervene and take care of it so um you know i i think that would that was the was was the best for me you know yeah i i joined 2006 the same as you so i've been on almost 16 years too um what have you noticed has changed in policing just since you've come in because i'm not joking i only have 15 almost 16 years on but it has changed unbelievably <laughs> yeah since it, just in 15 years so what have you noticed in yours now i know that you just like us have had trouble with mayor city council things like that trying to to defund or or do other things but what have you seen kind of on the cellular level uh in policing um you know it's 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 all it's it's um trying to think politically put this um and, and it's more, be advised, it's more if, if there's anything that you don't feel comfortable, just say, I don't feel comfortable talking about that. Cause I understand exactly what, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, my, I'm very political with this. It's like, um, what do you call it? No, I just, it just changes. So it's, it's not as policing, you know, you could say that it's not as aggressive as it was, you know, for better or worse. And and you know everybody's evolved and adapted and that's what we're in now you know the pendulum swings one way and it goes back to one, you know the other way so but um you know that that's the main climate i believe but there's still a ton of people putting good work good work in there and you know if you can't attack a problem or crime from this angle everybody's figuring out the way to do it from another angle to, to you know to benefit the you know the community and make this place a safer safer city you know yeah, you know, what's always interesting to me about New York is when you have these precincts, and it's different from, you know, like where I'm at, we have seven divisions, then you have headquarters and, you know, all the other, but 
they cover a huge area. Each division covers a huge area of the city. So you have like Southwest, Southeast, all that kind of stuff. With you, you guys have so much crime that a precinct handles what, like two, three square miles, four square miles is, is about it, right? Yeah, it depends. Like some precincts are very small, you know, and some precincts are very large. And like there's one, one of our precincts like immense and like they're in the process of trying to divide it up and make a new precinct that will cover another part of it. But it's I, I believe it's all based on like, you know, obviously, you know, the way the city is, is mapped out, but also to like where the crime is, you know, so like the more in, intense crime, it's usually a smaller precinct, you know, like a mile or so. Like my my precinct was pretty um, had a lot of crime and it was pretty small. It's like, I think it was like a, two miles by like a half a mile, you know, like a little slit. But um, yeah, it just, it depends though. But yeah, the, there's a lot, a lot of, the NYPD is immense, you know, as you know. Yeah, absolutely. How, how many are you guys up to now? It, it, they always say 33, but I would probably say about 29, 30, but it's still a lot, you know. Yeah. See with mine, we're, we're, we're floating right around 3000. Yeah. So, you know, it, oh, that's why I feel like a lot like, you know, the stuff that happened last year, I really feel for like, you know, the departments that don't have the manpower to deal with that. You know, it's just it, it, it sucks, you know, but you got to do what you got to do, you know, with what you have. Yeah. And, you know, and you bring up a good point that with and by no means is my department small at all. But, no, it isn't. No. Yeah. But the the thing that you bring up, it's harder. It, it, it seems crazy because it's harder now to get good candidates to get people that want to do the job for the right reasons, all that kind of stuff. So you kind of get into a loop that is very hard to get out of because you need to fill those roles because you have crime that's raising up. You have a lot of um, stuff going on in, in the judicial system. So you don't have those patrol officers. Then you, you get strapped for detectives and then you can't recruit good people because the pay is not good. Do you see any kind of way out of this? I think that I think that the answer is cities are going to finally have to just pay up to what is being done. You know, they're going to have to match salaries. They're going to have to match uh, benefits and things like that. Or you're going to end up with the police department that you deserve. And that's a crazy yeah. way to say it, but that's how it's going to end up being. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. It's, you know, it's the whole pendulum thing, you know, when there's no need, you know, when everything's too good, you know, it swings one way and then when it's bad, it swings back the other way. It's just, uh, but you know, life finds a way, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it, 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 during my career, we had a span of three years where we couldn't take overtime. You had to take comp time because really? they were building, the city was building a new hotel and they were taking that money and building a bridge and stuff. So instead of raising the salaries and stuff, we took a hold and we couldn't, like I said, take overtime. We couldn't do anything. So it was crazy. What where year <sighs> What year is that from? I guess I'm going to be honest. I, I think it was like 2000, I want to say like 2008 to 10 or 11. 
it was it was a real crazy time. I mean, yeah, I believe it, man. We, I mean, you know, I've been blessed. I had a wife that made good money and stuff, but there, I had buddies that were hurt, man. That you yeah, know were yeah. paying a ton into their insurance and stuff, and they were hurt until the salary started coming up. We had a lot of people leave the department for other ones just so they could get on a good salary base. Now that's all changed. We have a really good mayor in now that really backs the police department and stuff. So I know you guys are going through some crazy stuff with the mayor and stuff, but the, the salaries have finally started raising up. Now I want to talk about being at the NYPD. You are part of a three man unit and it's a very elite unit. The forensic sketch artists, there's only like a hundred of these guys all over the United States. Yeah. It's, um, it might be even smaller now. So, so I mean, my, 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 I'll give you like the little backstory about how it even came about was, um, I always, I, my dad was really an awesome artist. He was professional. He, he did commercials, worked on cartoons, um, with Disney and Warner brothers and, and did tons of, um, design work and merchandise and cartoon all the way. And it was always feast and famine, you know, it was, so I was never, I loved to draw and I always did it as a hobby and saw that he did it and learned it from him, but never thought it would ever be a viable, um, like source of income career or anything like that but i drew as a hobby and so i drew in high school i drew in the military i drew in the police department and then um one time uh a friend had a friend that reached said oh he's like he, he says you know how to draw really well i'm like yeah, yeah he's like no no i heard you're really good and i'm like yeah i'm, I'm okay he's like my friend's actually like the head detective uh detective sketch artist over uh at one police plaza he's like uh, i'll get you, i'll get you to talk to him i'm like all right cool so i called him up and the guy was very nice this, this first grade detective uh, juan perez and um he'd been there forever and he was like yeah come on down you know so i went down and showed him a portfolio and he was like you got to um yeah you have really good stuff you just got to take a drawing test so i took this the drawing test and i did very well and he's like wow man he's a guy you got some talent and he's like you know we really like you talked to the captain and he was like you know like we really we really like you man you're like one of the top candidates you know don't unfortunately this is 2011 you have to wait for me to retire kid so i'm like okay so i went you know i went back to patrol and i just waited and um he ended up retiring in the end of 2014 and they picked me up in january of 15 and um that was that was that was it. I was off to the races, and um, you know, been been doing the best I can ever, you know, since I've got there. And very blessed. It's a great unit, and um, not many of them in the country, that's for sure. Did you ever think, like, I would have never even thought of that job uh, while never. I was going through? <laughs> like, if your friend wouldn't have brought it to you, would you even realize I, I that it was around? It. I didn't even know about it. That's the one beauty, beautiful thing about the NYPD. There's so many different units, you know, it's so big and, um, very fortunate. So, but also too, like the NYPD is a very big department. There's a ton of talented people, you know? So there's a lot like uh, for artists, there's a lot of amazing artists in there. So like we recently picked up another artist. So we had to give all the tests out and the interviews again, and you see how awesome and talented people are and then you have to make the decision like you know this the guy is going to get it you know you get the thumbs up and it goes through the chain of command and everything but um very competitive so but uh it's great you know a talent that i had in my back pocket i never thought i would ever use i get to use now to help people and uh you know help with help detectives on the ground you know figure out who the guy is and um you know sometimes it's the nail in the coffin sometimes it's a hint or a clue that leads them in the in the right direction but it's a very satisfying job being able to use my talent to help people now in this 
picture right here of you looking very serious. Um, <laughs> the, I, I understand. You got to take all police pictures where you look serious. <laughs> the The sketches behind you, are those all your sketches? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. So you keep every single sketch you do, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're all filed and everything like that. And then, like, you know, I... I have like, I have a board. So I put a nice smattering of pictures in there, you know, when people come to visit and also to like, when, you know, witnesses come in and they see, you know, they can see some of the work you do and kind of get a grasp of what they're going to go through when you do the interview. So it's different for you uh, with the way you have to uh, interview people. It's, it's very different in the job that I do because I handle a lot of our interviews in my unit. Uh, but, but it's a different kind of interviewing. Can you kind of go through the steps of how you come up with these drawings? Because a lot of people have never, they don't think that sketch artists are even around. They think it's all computer generated now and stuff. Yeah. So can you kind of walk through the steps of what you do? Yeah. So we, we do a lot of different things. We do cold cases, reconstruct, uh, DOA, dead people, reconstructions, we do all this different stuff, but the bread and butter is a composite sketch is what we do. So the detectives will arrange for a victim to come in, and these can be anything from, you know, robbery to rape, you know, we have homicides, all, everything. We sit down, and we make a rapport with the with the witness. That's, like, the most important thing. Like, you know, some of these crimes are, like, I, I've talked to, you know, juveniles, sexually assaulted, raped uh, kids and stuff. It's like, if you come don't come across and like able to get that bond with them they're going to shut you out and they're not going to tell you really important details that are going to make your sketch go one way or the other and make it closely resemble the guy you want to catch so i interview them i get a generalization of what the guy looks like you know once we have the rapport and um we have photos bug shots from the 70s and 80s they're so old and um with different race and age groups. And then they go through that and they pick out elements. And we talk about, you know, like oh, this set, this guy, these eyes on this guy remind me of the bad guy. Does this, well, this reason and the nose looks like this. And we get a grasp of different features. We use Google images. Like, so if the guy has a hat, we find out exactly what type of hat he has, what type of haircut. We take all that, all these um, elements, they hang out, we draw in private and I draw what I think of what the guy looks like based on the, the photograph pieces that she's picked out or him picked out and you know, with the interview, what I think he looks like that image I have in my head. And then I reveal it to them and I tell them like, don't tell me right away how much you hate it. <laughs> Just look at it and um, tell me what you think. So what they do is they, they look and sometimes they're like, that looks exactly like him don't change a thing. That's the guy. Sometimes you're like, Oh, it looks good. It looks just like him. you know, change his nose, but his nose, it's gotta be thinner or this and that. And then we just make changes and we just, you know, go back and forth until we get as close as they can get. And, you know, and it's all based on the memories. So like the better the drawing is, it's not me. I'm the, I'm, I'm just driving, you know, like they're telling me the direction, like the better that they have, the better the, the, um, the better the drawing comes out, the closer it looks. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, people don't get a great look at a, at a, a guy like dimly lit and dark and stuff, but you just do the best you can. So, but some of the results are pretty amazing and they've, they've helped a lot of people and close a lot of cases. So very fortunate. So let me ask you an, an average sketch. How long does that take you? Um, it depends. It could take anywhere from like two to three hours and longer. So, and is it all, it's all pencil, pen? What do you, what do you use? Charcoal? We start with, I, we start with pencil and we do the whole sketch in pencil and we get it to a thumbs up point. And then 
we put it into we scan it we put it into the computer and give it like that 3d look and give it like a little bit of um you know detail and stuff to help with it so i'm just going through and kind of putting up some pictures that you've done uh this one is super close yeah that one's that yeah that was wild so that was um an elderly woman she had her like her throat almost sliced open he did slice her neck she ended up surviving but um that was actually a guy who was selling textbooks like walking across the street and he saw him and he knew exactly what he looked like he said he, he was like yeah he looks like this xyz he has the haircut of one of the running backs from the baltimore ravens he has this this and that i'm like all right drew it up and then they had this guy it was all over the news it was a big deal but um yeah, it was very, very good that that helped out. I'm glad the woman was okay and, you know, everything happened. Has any of the cases ever personally affected you? Like when you're trying to draw it, has it has it bothered you or, or driven you a little harder to, to, to get that, you know, that perfection in the picture? I mean, I, mean I, I treat all the cases the same, but, like, I've definitely had some, like the children one's always the, you know, like always the bother. You know, like I had one who was, you know, 11 year old girl raped. And, um, you know, like, you know, at that time, my daughter was 11 years old. So, you know, like it definitely resonates a little bit, you know, a little bit more. But um, do you find that since you can draw the way you do and with Battle Tribe, does that get you a little more rapport with certain people? I mean, do you ever let that show that you can? either talk to them because that's building rapport talking to them about something that yeah. might interest them is do you find that that helps you out a lot oh absolutely you have to be a likable person for somebody to open you up open up to you about especially some you know some of these people are just you know horrible horrible crimes and stuff like everybody i draw are just horrible people <laughs> it's just like right and um but that that's that but that's a part of the um that's one of the vetting part of the vetting process when you come to that to the forensic artist unit is they want to make sure that you can be able to talk to people, you know, like, you know, like, would you let this person talk to your kids and interview them about something serious, you know? So, but, um, it's definitely a, a plus and it definitely, it gives you better, the best results you can get, you know? And like, as you, and also too, like, so I've been doing it for like six years now over, and, um, now like I'm in my, in my prime, like I know what questions to ask. I know what to look for. You know, in the beginning, like the first year, year or two, you, you know, you're trying to find your way and trying to find that that rhythm that works best for you to get the best results. And so, like now, I'm like right there, and it's it, it's a good feeling to be, be at your prime and what you're doing to help people. Uh, how long do you see yourself doing it for? Um, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep doing it until um, you know. Well, what uh, I mean by that is, I do you think this? Yeah, retire. Yeah. Yeah, until that, I retire. So. Yeah, that, that's what I meant was, do you yeah, think yeah. this will be until retirement that you'll do this? Yeah, absolutely. This? absolutely. Because what you find is people get into detective positions and, and they love it for the, the first couple of years or five years, but then they find that maybe they want to do another kind of detective work or they want to move to something else or they want to try something else out. And you, you get people that, that move around. Uh, you know, yeah, they they, so, they yeah. might start in like I I have a buddy right now that was uh, sex assaults and now he is a homicide yeah. detective because he always wanted to get to homicide, but he knew he had to pay his dues up through assaults and everything like yeah. that. But he moved around as fast as he could to get over to homicide. So um, that's what you you don't see it all the time because you see some people get into detective positions and and they'll stay there for you know, 10, 15 years doing it. So that was kind of what the question was slanted towards. Is this something that yeah. you would like to do until retirement or? 
or yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, every case is so different, and every case has got such a good you know like story and stuff. Not a good story, but um, you know, like it, it it's 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 um having the talent to be able to help people like that, and also too like it's the face of the case. You know, like I've had a couple cases. You know, like you get the like you know we're always we're kind of like firemen, always waiting for like the next big one, and um, you know. We live, you know, obviously caseloads have come down from technology and there's cameras everywhere, but not cameras don't work all the time and stuff. And like Absolutely. sometimes there's a big case that hits and they want answers and they need something for the news and they need to get it out there for the people so they can solve it, you know, in the first 48 hours and so what. So your image, what you do, the choices I make are out there front and center on every TV, you know, television, uh, internet, on, in printed media everywhere. And uh, it's a big deal. And it, um, I take great pride in my work and it's not, it hasn't gotten old for me at all. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're right. Cameras don't work all the time. I can remember a homicide where they had just installed these <laughs> new surveillance cameras at an apartment complex. And the, Meh. the cameras literally went down like seven minutes before the homicide and the camera was pointed like, right where the homicide happened and it went offline and then came back on like 45 minutes later. It's crazy. I had, I had a case. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I had a case. It was like a horrible, um, what do you call it? Robbery a woman got mugged and everything. And it was in front of a, a security camera store. So oh. in the front window, there's all these security cameras all paid, you know, like ones you could buy and everything like, like right. tons of them and none of them worked. Nothing was on oh nothing. So it was just like a complete, complete blank spot. But, um, yeah, that, it, it's crazy. Like I said, you know, that one, the, I think the cameras came on like 30, 45 minutes later. And it was because the company that had put them in was like remotely working and trying to get everything online so that you could see it remotely. I mean, it was it was insane. And and what made it even more insane was the camera was pointed like like they would have known exactly who did it right when it happened. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. So let's talk about what we what we kind of met up for, I got to tell you, man, your <laughs> art is my favorite art out there right now. Oh, I, thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. I, I love it. It, it. Everything about it, because being kind of a nerd, being in law enforcement, being uh, military, I mean, you can see behind me, I, I don't have the normal stuff that people have back there. Um, I, I, I love your stuff. So you got to tell me how you came to the idea to do this because no one was doing it before you mixing, no, it's crazy, mixing crazy. those worlds together. No one did it. Yeah, no. Um, so I, I started like, I just started drawing and I, I saw, I, I had a lot of friends that were like, Oh, you should put your art on Instagram. You know, cause it, Instagram's like, it's great because you could see like, it's like almost like an instant portfolio. Like you could see what somebody's completely about and just go on to it. So I started drawing and um, I just started putting my stuff out there. And then I, I, I had this crazy idea one day. I was just like, ah, let me, you know, I always like, um, you take like kind of like a goofy, like sci-fi kind of um, idea. And then, but if you make it like serious, people believe it and like go for the ride. Like I'll get like an example, like RoboCop, like Starship Troopers, like zany ideas, but they're so visceral and like grounded and there's like, you know, gory and blood and like, oh man, there's like the stakes are high. You believe it, even though it's like a goofy, goofy scenario. So I saw it, I did this one drawing, one of, um, one of the first ones, I did a bunch of military guys, Stormtrooper helmets, which is kind of ridiculous, but I did it very gritty and everything like that. So I actually, um, a friend reached out to me. He's like, oh, this is awesome. 
and we ended up becoming friends down the road. He was like, hey, you know, I love your work. I saw this one drawing. You mind if I put it on Reddit? I'm like, yeah, no, no problem. So he put it on Reddit and had like 64,000 likes in like a day. And he's like, yo, I think you have something here. I'm like, you might want to put that on a T-shirt. I'm like, all right. And and then it was off to the races. I just started, you know, um, just drawing all different types of stuff and um, doing a lot of different mashups and crazy ideas. And then I, I came up with the brand Battle Tribe as an outlet for me, you know, to, to put my um, – put my art out there and uh people are really in, enjoying it and it's 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 great you know and it's pretty much i've made it into like a lifestyle and like you know like i go down like oh i have an idea today an idea tomorrow and i just put it out there and, and um it's really great to see people enjoy it and see it everywhere you know like the stickers the patches the clothing you know and that people take great pride and enjoy it and um you know share it with me and i get to share it with other people and i've met a lot of different other people but it's just um been a, a blast and it just keeps going and going yeah let's talk about that i mean you like you said instagram reddit um you've worked with silence and light the uh the yeah, awesome. uh, incredible brad thomas uh the man <laughs> you guys awesome yeah uh, i never met him no well that wasn't for my art and stuuff yeah uh you worked with wetsu goons up red coat apparel um, you've even met uh, Christian Craighead because you did the <laughs> Obi Wan Nairobi stuff. Yeah, 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 and that's another awesome story too. Awesome guy, awesome guy. And it's funny too because I met him, and um, there was people like, "Yeah, you didn't meet him." And I'm like, "It was before he was out." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah I, I did. He drinks he drinks Stella, a lot of Stella. You know, <laughs> it's so funny." That's the best but, beer um, in the world. So yeah, it's oh, it's delicious. So it's funny, but like, I'll, like the short story how I met him, awesome guy was I saw the terrorist attack happen, you know, on the news and stuff. And I was like, whoa. And, you know, the um, the image of him kicking the door and wearing that purple shirt, which is gray, 100% it's gray, um, was pretty wild. I was like, wow, I got to draw this guy. So I did a drawing of him and everything. And a friend of his reached out to me and was like, I, yo, I actually, um, that's an awesome drawing. I actually, I'm friends with him. And I was like, get out of here. And I'm like, I'm an NYPD detective. You know, I would love to send him a care package. So I sent it downrange to the person. And if they were lying, it is what it is, you know, like, but for some reason, I'm like, nah, I think they're on that level. And, um, like two months later, they're like, oh, did he, did he ever thank you? And I'm like, ah, you know, it's not about that. I just wanted to be like, no, 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 I'll, I'll get it. He's got it. He's got to thank you. So then, um, he reached out to me. He's like, I'm coming stateside. I'd love to go hang out with you. Have a couple of beers. We'll shoot the shit. I was like, and we went out, we hung out and we've had an awesome relationship ever since. And, um, he's a great dude. Talk to him all the time. And he's got a lot of amazing stuff on the horizon. Just a really good dude. Just complete badass. Real, real badass dude. Yeah, yeah. I will, I will definitely agree with you there. Uh, that story is incredible. What he yeah. did uh, and how he handled himself um, with the battle tribe stuff. You, you have so much of kind of pop culture meets law enforcement meets military. What are your and and there's been a huge resurgence of that in the world. I mean, look at the Marvel movies, look at Disney Plus, look at all the yeah, superhero yeah. stuff, the the Star Wars stuff that's really happened, Book of Boba Fett, Mandalorian. I mean, yeah, this yeah. was perfect for the pickings for you. Is there anything else that you want to branch out into sci-fi wise? Now, I know you've done some alien stuff recently, but have you ever thought about going into like the Star Trek and stuff like that? Yeah, you know, like I, you know what it is is like i i just gotta feel it that's it there's like there's a lot there's a, some people tell me like oh you should do this and that and i'm just not really feeling like feeling it but um if it works i'm down like it's it's so weird like if 
I'm not like I have two modes. I have like creating mode and a consumption mode. So if I'm in a, if I don't really know what I want to draw next or have the idea, I just consume content, consume, consume, you know, watch this YouTube, you know, go on Instagram and everything. And then I, all of a sudden I just, I get that spark and then boom, I'm into my next, my next piece, my next drawing, you know, my next idea. And, um, it's fun. You know, that's the one thing that's great about this. Like some people, you know, you know, build a brand or do art and stuff and it becomes work for them. I've just been, you know, flying at the seat of my pants, just having a good time. Like everything I've done has just been just enjoyment for me. And then I put it out there and some stuff, you know, some stuff does awesome and some stuff people are kind of like, ah, that's all right. But it doesn't matter to me because, <laughs> you know, I'm having, I'm having a blast. I'm, you know, I'm checking, like I did like the action figures, right? Okay. So, so I remember I was walking around Comic-Con and I saw this one um, toy booth and they do art toys and they're all like, they're all like bootleg, you know, you know, all art, you know, hand numbered one through 20, like very crazy stuff. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. So I was like, oh, you know, I could do that. My characters kind of look like GI Joes. So I kit bashed, I did a bunch of painting. I, I had a friend, we did the, the packaging and everything. I, I go on, I go on um, Etsy. I found like bubbles. I packaged them up. They look, they look completely real. So like one day I was doing a live stream and I showed them, you know, it was just, it was something cool I did for myself. And people were like, you got to make those. So I started making them and people just eat them up and it, and it's the coolest thing ever. And they're not meant to be open, by the way, you know, they're supposed to be like an art thing. Kind of display. Yeah. <laughs> but, but some people open them up, but um, that's just some random thing I wanted to do. And, um, you know, and just made it happen and people enjoyed it. And um, I just, I recently just did a beer with a uh, backward flag brewery and out of Jersey. And like, that was something I wanted to do. You know, I'm, I'm at the beer distributor and I look and I'm like, wow, there's so much cool artwork on all these IPAs and stuff. I'm like, let me see if I can find somebody to collab with. And I found an awesome company and um, reached out to them and like, hell yeah, let's do it. And then, you know, we put some of the, uh, the money that you to go to charity to, to Hunter seven. So that's another thing too. A lot of the different things. Like I, I have a bunch of charities I like to work towards. So, you know, I try to do things to help, you know, help them out get it out there i will tell you that beer is extremely hard to get oh i know i felt so bad i'm like yeah it's only <laughs> i thought i drove, I drove I thought, two hours <laughs> yeah i thought you son of a bitch matt you put this so on sorry. here really about this beer too. and then i went to i went to backwards brewing i read through all their stuff i i tried to see I'm if so i could sorry. get it if it shipped or anything they are super tight on that stuff no, I'm so sorry. It's, yeah, yeah, that was uh, so. But there'll 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 be other there'll be other beers and other breweries and stuff. So there's yeah, a couple, that, there's a couple projects in the work works right now. So yeah. So how do you find time? You know, kind of wrapping this up. How do you find time for all this? You you got kids. You got a full time yeah. job. You got a wife. You got a company to run. How do you so, do it? Um, what do you call it? Yeah, I just. I, I go to work, you know, and then I come home and I'm right off to the races, you know, and the week, the weekends I relax and stuff, but during the week, I'm like, I get home, I stay up late. My wife's awesome. She does customer service and stuff. And then I have, there's a couple of the companies that work with me to make all the merchandise based on the art and everything. And, um, so it's like a full operation. So, but she does a lot of the management stuff. So all I have to really do, I'm just like creative, just making stuff, making stuff. But, um, you know, it, it, it's a lot, you know, like you talk to anybody that does content, it's a lot. You gotta be, you gotta keep making it. But, um, but once again, though, it, it's enjoyable, you know, cause all I have to really worry about is being creative and coming up with the stuff. So that's it. 
Yeah, uh, I I absolutely love the stuff. Now we'll talk about where they can find you. Um, if you try and find Battle Tribe, it pops up as Etsy. That's where they have to go to actually. Yeah. There's not a Battle yeah. Tribe website, so the no, website that yeah the website that you're going to be looking for is Etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Battle Tribe, and that will get you to your store. You can go to Etsy.com, put in Battle Tribe if you want to do it that way. Uh, so what's next? You can you can Google Battle Tribe too; it'll come up. Right. So, or you can put in uh, uh, Matt Klein Battle Tribe. You can put, I think, uh, Render Artworks in in the Google searches. Yeah, Render Art. Yep. So, what's next for you, man? I'm just. Um, what do you call it? I just, I'm working on a couple collaborations right now. Okay. With, um. So, I you know nothing's nothing's to, um, fruition yet, but um. What do you call? It? I actually have a really actually. There's so many. I have a really big one coming up. I can't wait to once I get the thumbs up to give an announcement. I'm really excited about it. It's like a really, really cool one. It's gonna do a lot, and um, big big charity, uh, big charity thing through it, and really excited about that. Um, so, but uh, it's gonna it's gonna shot show. I, I I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think it's gonna go through. But that's like when the announcement's gonna be. So like January next year. Okay. So I'm definitely gonna go. Definitely gonna go there for a couple of days down in Vegas. And so if anybody's you know listening and stuff's gonna be there, you see me be bopping around. Definitely uh, say hi. But um, yeah, not, I'm you know just waiting to see what happens. I I don't <laughs> I have a, a huge list of things I can't say yet. But um, things are coming. Just keep an eye on the page and you know. Now to give about- people hope that are doing things. How long have you been at this? I started like the summer of eight twenty eighteen, and it kicked in the high gear like October, and it's been nonstop runaway ever since. Just big, big, growing, 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 and um, it's 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 good. It's been a it's been a fun ride, and it's still going. So, well, like three years, three years, yeah, three yeah, years. yeah. I I think a lot of people start that stuff and they 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 leave it too soon. They don't give it a full you know, a full trial before they, you know, they think, well, I'm not, I didn't make a million dollars right away or I don't have a million followers right away. Yeah. And they, they kind of walk away from it, but it, it takes time to build that name. Now with you, it was uh, one picture and 64,000 likes the next yeah. morning. So, I mean, it, it's amazing. And, and your art shows it, man. I mean, anybody, I, I love your art prints that you can hang on the wall and everything. So, Everywhere we can find you. Instagram is Matt Render. Uh, Website is, once again, Etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Battle Tribe. They can Google Battle Tribe. They can Google uh, Matt Klein Battle Tribe. They can Google Render Art. You can go there, find everything. There are patches. There's stickers. There's flags. There's art. There's shirts. There's hoodies. Anything that you (laughs) want Battle Tribe on. You can go find it there. Is there anything else that you want to promote tonight, Matt? No, that um, that that's pretty much it. There's um, you know, like I, I put a lot out there. Other because I meet so many great people and great organizations and other talented artists out there and stuff. And um, you know, like uh, like Brad Thomas, who's a good friend, his band Silence of Light. We did, we did a collab last year, raised a lot of charity. There's some good working on some cool stuff with them now. And um, what do you call it? Warriors Heart Foundation is one of my, a great charity that I, I like. They do um, what do you call it? They it's a um, I'm trying to think of the name of it. 
what is it called? It's like a, it's a getaway for um, military and first responders suffering from PTSD. It's like a retreat. So they're really good. And then you have Hunter Seven, which is you know about you know veterans returning back that suffer from you know different ailments, you know from being exposed to burn pits and you know different toxins and stuff from the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. And um, there's a lot of different stuff. But yeah, just keep you know you know ch- checking on my page and seeing what's up next. And um, but definitely spread the support. You know, I always love sharing other people's uh, great stuff. There's a lot of great talented people in the veteran community that I've run across and it's just, uh, it's a good, it's a good community really as the whole law enforcement military community. Yeah. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. It's, uh, you're doing phenomenal. I, I, like I said, it's my favorite art out there right now. So (laughs) once again, guys, Instagram, Matt Render, you can go to the website, etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash battle tribe. You can Google his name. You can Google battle tribe and it will bring you to it. If you want more of me, you can find me on Instagram at the DTD underscore podcast. You can find me on Facebook at the DTD podcast, and you can find me on YouTube where all of these conversations are in video versions. You get to see some of the pictures that we're talking about, and that's at the DTD podcast. Remember, guys, you come here every week because the best stories are true, and we give them to you. That's going to be the show for tonight, guys. That's Matt. I'm DJ. That's the show. We'll catch you on the next one. See you later, guys.